I want to draw your attention to 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel. You've heard me say a number of times over the years that uh, the Israelites kind of intrigue me because they give to us in Scripture a picture of humanity. And we see that it's common among people. The ups and the downs that they faced, the travels that they faced, that they dealt with, going through victorious times, going through defeated times, and you see the pattern of their lives. God gave them victory when they sought after him. God brought them into, into bondage. God brought them into, uh, into a yoke whenever they disobeyed God. And sometimes those disobedient times so quickly followed, so quickly followed victorious times. It's hard to understand and it's hard to grasp and we think that we're better than that. But there is a certain aspect that I want us to get and draw here just briefly this morning, draw out of these passages. Some people say that they can't learn somebody else's lessons. They have to learn it themselves. I feel for those kind of people because it seems like that is the road that is leading to most uh, heartache and heartbreak. If I can learn from somebody else's mistakes and save me from doing those same mistakes, then I think, uh, I think I'm better off. Uh, not better off than, you know, doesn't make me better than somebody else, but I'm better off in my, in my progress, better off following him. Will you bow your head with me as I ask for God's special special touch as we look into his word this morning. Father, we're thankful today for your presence. Thank you for your word we're about to look into. I pray that you would break it open to us this morning. We need your anointing. Can't do it on our own. We must have your presence, your help. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse number 1 starts out this way, the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Now we just need to take a break right there at that point and remind ourselves, be remembering here of what life was like in the land of Israel at this particular point. Eli had been... Uh, the priest for a number of years, his sons who also followed his, in his footsteps of being priest were very wicked boys, very wicked men. I can't help but think that they were wicked boys because they became such wicked men. It didn't happen overnight, but it was a progression that took place. Israel was in a bad way. And we find even how much more deplorable it was or how dark it was in the land of Israel by the next statement that is found in this verse. There was no, or the next statement says, the word of the Lord was precious in those days. 
there was no open vision. You and I probably don't understand that. It's hard for us to comprehend exactly what that means or what that meant in that, in that particular capacity. The Amplified says that the word of the Lord was rare and it was precious in those days. Now, I know that we probably all, there's 100% of us here this morning that have an understanding, that have any kind of an understanding at all about Scripture and God and and His presence. We all have at least a a good measure, I would think, a good amount of of, uh, understanding that the Word of the Lord is precious. But the word rare that prefaces the word precious indicates that there was something about that day that we we may not even understand because we have God's word written for us. I believe in that day when this was written, the, the context in which this was written, it, was, it would be sharing how dark it was on the spiritual sense. And then when you understand and realize what was taking place in the priesthood itself, you can, you can then fully understand or at least more fully understand how dark it really was. The people were, were, were disenchanted with uh, religion. They were disenchanted with following God because of all that was taking place in the, in the priesthood house and in the temple and in the tabernacle I guess the wickedness that was taking place you could even say that it was debauchery lewdness pick out whatever word you want to that would describe the most deplorable and the most dark scene that you can think of and that would probably indicate how bad it was at this particular time and then the writer here tells us that the the word of the lord was precious it was rare there was no frequent or widely spread vision samuel comes on the scene as a little boy, and the only thing that he really understands and knows is what he learned at the knee of his mother, on his mother's lap, or, or uh, in, in the quiet moments before going to bed, perhaps, as his mom wouldn't give him instruction, and sometimes through the day, teach him, teach him things. And then suddenly he's placed in a in a strange environment, an environment away from her and from from his family and and all of the wickedness that was around at that at that time and and Samuel was was uh, was being brought up in the in the middle of all of that. We go on in the story and we hear that God calls to Samuel. And I suppose that the reason behind this verse number one would, it, would be that, that uh, for us to understand that this voice that was calling to Samuel was a rare voice. Hadn't been done for a long time. And he didn't even understand it himself. You can argue how you want to about how old he was at this particular time. It doesn't really matter to me necessarily how old he was, or at least not for this this morning. But he didn't understand. He really thought in his young mind that it was Samuel, or excuse me, Eli calling for Samuel. You read that, and and he was so caught up in it that three times, 
I believe it was three times, wasn't it, that he went. He responded to the call thinking that it was Eli calling to him. Only for Eli finally to recognize, oh, wow, we haven't heard from God for a long time. Maybe God is the one trying to get a hold of Samuel's young heart. And so he he tells Samuel, you go back, and if the voice calls you again, you say, here am I, Lord, speak for your servant hears. And God gives to Samuel a message. A message that tingled the ears of everyone that would hear. He was so taken aback by it that he had a hard time facing Eli the next day. He suddenly became shy. He didn't want to see Eli. Read about it. I can just see him scooting around and trying to do his duties, trying to do all the things that he wanted to do or he needed to do, and, and he didn't want to see Eli. But Eli, Eli made a point to see him. Now, let's flip forward uh, several years. I don't know how many years it would be. I don't know uh, the time frame. Uh, uh, it, it's hard to sit down sometimes and really calculate it out. But, but we get over here to uh, uh, chapter number 12. And things are beginning to change again in Israel. This time, the changes are going to be uh, pretty drastic changes in that they are, they are requesting, the people are, of Israel are requesting a complete different direction of leadership. They no, longer, they no longer want the prophet to be their leader. They no longer want to follow after the man of God that they have had for a number of years and follow the priest or, or the prophet. And, and Samuel has developed for himself a name that he is God. God's man. They, they understand it. They feel it. They know it. But somehow, for some reason, they say, no, give us a king. We want a king. What's wrong with having a king? We could probably spend a lot of time debating that. We could spend a lot of time talking about that. The point of the matter is, is is Samuel thought that they were rejecting him as leader. God said, no, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Just because they wanted a king? Well, you see, there's some subtleties there. It wasn't simply just having a king instead of the prophet. They wanted to be like other nations. There were some subtle things that I don't believe that the children of Israel fully comprehended, even though Samuel tried his best to get them to understand it by talking to them and saying, you know, this is the kind of a person that you're going to have. This is what he will turn into. This is what you will have to deal with. And for whatever reason, they were willing to give up their freedoms that they experienced up until this point. Even though Samuel painted a pretty dark picture about what it was going to be for them to have a king. And so we see the transition taking place here in chapter number 12. and chapter number 13, it tells us that Saul reigned one year. So it's taken place. It's already transitioned to that by the time we get to chapter 13 and verse 1. But look at, just briefly here, look at the very end of chapter number 12. 
These final verses of chapter 12, Samuel is talking to the people and he says, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness. Hear, hear his words, listen to him. Ye have done all this wickedness, turn, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Turn not, or turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. And here we find the final words that Samuel was trying to challenge his people before they get into this new era of life. Only fear the Lord, serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things He hath done for you. He goes on then on that final verse, but ye shall still do wickedly. Ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. Now that's a sad prophetic word to these people. But it stands out to me with bold letters that next to the last verse, verse number 24, where he's trying to convince them that they needed to fear the Lord. Now what changed? If the word of God was so precious in that day, it was rare in that day, what changed the whole scenario? What changed the scene? Even though people still sinned and then they would repent and they'd come back to God and God would give them victory and then they'd, they'd go back and turn their, their back on God again and they would fall. Well, you know, what, what, what is it though that really changed in the chorus of these people? We could say that it was... Uh, the entrance of Samuel onto the scene. But I think it goes back before then. Now Samuel is telling them, keep in mind, Samuel is telling them that they are to fear the Lord. They are to serve Him in truth with all of your heart. Consider how great things He's done for you. Be reminded over and over again of the victories of the past. And he will certainly give you victories of the present if you continue to follow Him in truth. He's, he's repeating this to them. But is it Samuel that has changed the dynamics? Or can we go back even prior to that to find a woman by the name of Hannah? Now, some people reading about the life of Hannah, and maybe you could find it within your own ideas about Hannah, that she had at least a little bit of bitterness within her. You know, she suffered a great deal, didn't she? She had, some, she had some issues that she was dealing with. She had, a, she had to share the, uh, the wife place with, a, with another woman who, who had children by her husband, and she couldn't. She was barren. And as you read that story, she really, she was overwhelmed with sadness. You know, the King James says, for to make her fret. And I believe that it's pretty deep grievance here, what is taking place in chapter 1 of verse 6, you know, that fretting, because the Lord had shut up her womb. 
maybe someone would say, no, there wasn't any bitterness there. But if you keep reading, you'll come down to verse number 10. And she was in bitterness of soul. I don't know how far you want to take that. But it says that there was bitterness of soul. But when she laid it out, I believe it's safe for me to say that she laid it out in repentance before God. God gave a deliverer. God changed the dynamics of the people, of that country, of that nation, because this one woman repented, confessed it, and petitioned for victory. Oh yes, it was quite a commitment that she had to fulfill. There was quite a a big task that she had to do. There was something that most people would not be willing to do to give of this child after he was weaned completely to the Lord. Where she only saw him once a year as they came back for the yearly sacrifices. Very little influence after that point, but there was enough of an influence up to that point that Samuel followed the voice of God. And somehow even Eli pointed him in that direction as well. I'm not real sure what you're going to take home from this this morning, but I hope that what you can take home is maybe a couple of things that... As Samuel was closing down here at the end of chapter 12 in preparation for the new era of kingship, that he is challenging them, he is warning them, he is admonishing them to follow with faithful obedience. That is the key to victory. Or maybe you want to go back to the life of Hannah and recognize that here is one individual when she laid it out before the Lord. God was able to use her sacrifice for much good. She was so overwhelmed in her prayers that Eli thought she was a drunken woman and she begged him to, to not charge her with that kind of a charge, but, but to listen to her heart, her cry. And then she went back and gave Samuel to the Lord. Is God's word precious to us? I don't want it to be rare for us. We have his word. But how precious is it? And how much our heart yearns or longs to follow him in obedience and in truth. And when we yield ourselves. Here I am again coming back to a question that I've posed in recent weeks. Is our theology leading us to the holiness of God? Or is it leading us to self and our desires? I believe the challenge is for for our heart and our, and our, our, our beliefs to be leading us to the holiness of God. And obedience, surrender to Him. Let's stand together.
worth it all when we see Jesus, when we follow him, when we follow him even on this side, in truth and in complete obedience. I think it's a time for us to reflect as we think about it on ourselves and where we stand with God. Are we really being obedient to him? And that one person changes the trajectory even of a nation. Maybe that won't be the case in our individual lives, but our choice to follow God or not follow God affects other people. And my challenge to you this morning is to follow him in complete obedience, full obedience, valuing his word. Lord willing, we'll see you tonight, regular service times this evening. Praise God. Brother Thomas, would you dismiss us in prayer?